title of my sermon today is John the Baptist's Impact on Judea. John the Baptist's Impact on Judea. And we're going to continue to talk about Impact Candler. So last week we introduced our Impact Candler initiative and we talked about Jonah. We talked about this prophet in Israel who was called by God to go into a very sinful place and preach repentance, to preach the repentance of sins. And as we thought about Jonah, we saw that he actually went into a city of 120,000 people. Now, I want to stop just for a moment because I need to make a correction from last week. Last week, I was saying there was 200,000 people in Nineveh. Well, there wasn't. It was 120. And you may say, well, Ben, why would you make a correction like that? It's a number. It's, it's, it's irrelevant. Well, here at Pole Creek, we believe that the Word of God is absolutely true. We believe that every word in it is true. And it is my job as pastor to be accurate when I communicate these things. So we just want to honor God's word by making that correction. It was a city of 120,000 people, and Jonah was one man. One man who was called to go and preach this very difficult message. And we found out in Scripture that God honored Jonah's obedience so much that from the king to the beggar in the gutter, they all got saved. They all got right. The Bible says that they repented of their sins. And because they repented of their sins, God's wrath was quenched and he turned from his anger over them. Now think about that just for a minute. One man going into a city of people who were not of his culture, not of his nationality, a city that was very wicked, but he obeyed God and he preached the Christ-centered message that God gave him. And God honored that. Now think about us, 350 some odd people here at Pole Creek Baptist Church living in a community of 27,000 people. If one man can impact a city of 120,000 by obeying God, how much more people can we impact 350 people in a much smaller community? Hey, you know what? Some people may say, Ben, there's just too much hopelessness out there. There's too many people in need. There's no way that Pole Creek can make any significant difference. I disagree. I know that we can make a difference. And I know that not only can we make a difference, but we will make a difference. God has called us to this. God has called us to impact Candler, North Carolina. Now, Candler, you may say, well, you know, it's just a small little town. I mean, it may be where you grew up at, or you may have moved in later, but, you know, it's just, it's an insignificant little town. Well, I want you to know that God has called you to be here. You're not here by chance. You don't live in Candler just because it was something that you happened upon one day. You're in Candler, North Carolina today because God has preordained for you to be here. For however long you're here, God has ordained that. So the question is, what are we going to do while we're here? What are we going to do in our community to the, for the glory and to honor God? Well, as we looked at Jonah today, I want us to look at John the Baptist. And as we spoke last week about Impact Candler, we looked through the lens of the hopeless people that live in our community. We looked through the lens of people who are distraught, people who are suffering from drug addiction, people who are suffering from depression and anxiety, people in our community who are looking for hope and fulfillment. But today, I want us to look through the lens of each one of us because we should be motivated to reach our community because we see the pain. We should be motivated to reach people in our community because we want them to be fulfilled in a relationship with Jesus. But we should also want to reach our community because God has placed a unique calling on our lives. See, a calling is very important. 
Now, an atheist can't be called to do anything because an atheist doesn't believe in someone higher than them. In order to be called to do something, something or someone far greater than you must call you to that task. If I say that I am called to do something, it's not because I decided I was going to do it, but it's because someone far greater than me called me and preordained me to do it. So here is our task today as believers here at Pole Creek in Candler. What has God called us to do? What task has God set before us? As we look a little bit further, we're going to see that God used John the Baptist in a miraculous way. And that John the Baptist, as he reached people in the province of Judea, he had a Christ-centered calling and he had a Christ-centered message. So we launched Impact Candler last week, and I want to reiterate some of those practical steps that we're going to take here at Pole Creek to reach our community, just like Jonah reached Nineveh and just like John the Baptist reached Judea. We have a calendar schedule that is going to focus on one group of people in our church every month for the rest of the year. In February, it's going to be the adults in our church. And what the adults in our church are going to be tasked with throughout the month of February is to intentionally invite your coworkers, your neighbors, people you see in the drive-thru, people, you, uh, your waitress when you go to a restaurant. We want you to intentionally invite people to church. We want that to become part of your, just your pattern of life. As we provide these invite cards, we want you to just have those on you and just simply, I'd love for you to come to Pole Creek this Sunday. And so much so would I love you to come to Pole Creek that, you know, if you don't like being in crowds, which a lot of people don't, hey, I will wait for you on the front porch and I'll walk in with you and I'll sit with you. I'll buy you breakfast before service. Maybe you need to just minister to them throughout the week. Check in on them, see how they're doing. Show compassion to our community. And I'm telling you what's gonna happen is they're gonna see Jesus through you. And we said last week, and I said this kind of jokingly, but we really did order 10,000 invite cards. You say, well, Ben, there's only 27,000 people in Candler. Surely 10,000 cards would cover all the households and then some. Well, my hope is, is that people wouldn't just get one card, that they may get two or three cards, that multiple people from Polk Creek at some point in these folks' day-to-day -day lives would come and say, would you come and be a part of what's going on at Polk Creek? And you know what's going to start to happen? They're going to say, man, those people are, are really all about whatever they believe in. And, you know, they're a little bit weird, but I really want to see what's going on at Pole Creek. Man, they are really motivated. They are really excited about something, so I'm going to go check it out. Listen, nobody wants to go somewhere that's dead. Nobody wants to go somewhere that's just another a snooze fest or another thing where people are just going out of obligation. People want to be as part of something that's real, something that's exciting, something that's true, and something that they can see the results in. And I'm telling you, there's nothing greater than the gospel of Jesus Christ to do that. You know, as we look at our community, we've talked about this before where, you know, people say, well, we just got to elect the right politicians and we just got to have the right social programs and we've just got to have the right funding for all these organizations and then our community will get better. Well, as believers in Christ, from a Christian worldview and a Christian perspective, we understand that you can throw a lot of money at anything and it's not going to fix it. We understand that you can implement all the programs imaginable and you're still going to have the same problems. As Christians, we know that the fix what's going to make society better, what's going to make lives better, what's going to improve the joy that people have in their lives is an encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When they come to know the creator, the one who made them. You know, I'm bad to do this, but I'm bad to use tools for things that they're not meant to be used for. 
You might get a paint can. You know, Ben, they make a little tool that pops those lids off. I know that, but I can't always find it when I need it. So what I'll do is sometimes I'll use a pocket knife. Sometimes I'll use a fork. Sometimes I'll use whatever I can get a hold of to pry that lid off. And what happens when you use a tool for something that it wasn't meant to be used for? You break it. So I can't tell you how many times I broke the tips off of my pocket knives, you know, because I'm using the tool for something that it wasn't intended to be used for. Well, in the same way, humanity was made by God for a specific purpose. And as we look into society and our nation, as we look at the news, as we see all the difficulties that our world is facing, they can all be summed back to this one thing. Humanity is doing and being used to do things that they weren't created to do. They're trying to find their purpose and their usefulness in things that God did not make them and create them to do. Hey, you know how you, want, how you can have full peace, how you can have full joy? Is when you are in a relationship with Jesus and you are serving him as he's called you to do. And then you are achieving, you are doing, you are fulfilling the exact reason why you were created. You were created to be in a relationship with God and to serve him. There's no greater joy that you'll find in life than those two things. And what we want to do is we want to introduce the world to that truth because they don't know it. They don't understand it. They're chasing everything else but the one thing that can give them true joy and peace, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, salvation is a wonderful thing. And a lot of times I think when we talk about coming to know Christ and accepting Jesus as our Savior, we always talk about, now I'm going to heaven one day. I'm... My eternity's sealed. And that's very important. But we forget that we're saved right now. That God has not only saved us in order to take us to heaven one day, but he's also saved us to serve him right now. He has called us to do that very thing right now. And what we're going to see in the life of John the Baptist is that the calling that God placed on John the Baptist was so sure, was so strong, and was so settled that the calling was placed upon him before he was even born. Today, God had a calling on your life long before you were born. He knew those of you who would accept him, and he knew long before you were conceived what he would call you to do in your life. So if you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And this is where we're going to find our scripture today as we continue to talk about impacting Candler with the gospel. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Now, as we talk about Judea, Judea is a province in Israel. And in the first century, there were really three provinces in Israel. There was Galilee, there was Samaria, and there was Judea to the south. Well, this is the province and the area that John the Baptist was ministering in. And inside of the province of Judea, you had very well-known cities like Jerusalem and Bethlehem. So as John is preaching this gospel of repentance... He's impacting this entire province. He's impacting this entire group of people who live within Judea. So if you found your place, please stand to your feet as we read the word of God. And we honor his word. So Mark chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 8. The Bible says this, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, He will prepare your way, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word, and we're thankful for this man named John the Baptist, whom you called even before his conception, whom you gave a Christ-centered message to, and whom you used to change an entire province that people from all over the countryside of Judea, inside of Jerusalem, heard about a message that was being preached by a man named John, and they came out to hear exactly what that was. And Lord, we see the impact. We see the fact that people were being baptized, they were repenting of their sins, and they were trusting in God. Today, Lord, I pray that you would show us that we truly have a Christ-centered calling on our lives, just like John, and that you've given us a Christ-centered message to preach, just like John. Today, God, we entrust this message into your hands and this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So there's two things here that we're going to see in John the Baptist's mission and ministry to Judea. Number one is a Christ-centered calling. Now, sometimes we can know more about what something is by hearing what it's not. So I wanted to share a little story with you of something that happened in my own life so that we can better understand what a calling is. I got a wild hair one day and decided, you know what, I think I want to buy a truck. I want to buy a used truck. And I started looking on Craigslist. Well, I found this older Dodge truck. It had low miles, good price. It was in Landrum, South Carolina. So I drove down to Landrum. I met this young man at the Ingalls there right off the interstate, started looking at the truck. He asked if I wanted to drive it. I said, sure. So we jump in the truck and we take off down the road. And we started this small talk. You know, we just started kind of getting to know each other. And I asked him, I said, you know, what do you do for a living or, or what, you know, what are you into? He said, well, I'm about to go to Missouri. I'm going to go to seminary and I'm going to be a pastor. I said, man, that is awesome. Uh, he was Lutheran and, and there was a Lutheran seminary there in Missouri that he was going to attend. I said, that's wonderful that God's called you into ministry. And here was his response. He said, yeah. He said, I think it's going to pay pretty good and it's a pretty consistent job. And I didn't know the guy, so I didn't, you know, rebuke him or reprimand him or anything like that. But it struck me as odd, you know, that somebody would go and become a pastor for the money or for the job security, which I would disagree with both of those. I mean, I, mean, I, I worry every week y'all can get mad at me and kick me out of this place. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it struck me because a calling is so much more than a, a human decision. And he was making the decision based upon just logical type things like, like the amount of money you would make and the security of the position. That's not a calling today. And I think it's good that we understand what a calling is not so that we can better understand what a calling is. A calling is when the creator of the universe preordains you, sets you aside for a specific purpose. God has called each one of us to a general calling as believers. And that's the Great Commission. We find that in Matthew 28. The Bible says to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. That's that great calling that each one of us have on our lives. Now, our callings are going to be more specific and fall under that general calling. Did you know that God calls people to be factory workers? 
God calls people to be public school teachers. God calls people to be doctors and lawyers. God calls people to work for the water department. God calls people because we need Bible believers in every facet of our society. And just because your calling is different than someone else makes it no less valuable. But God has called you. And we should not ever get into this mindset that we choose and we decide what we're going to do and where we're going to go. Because God has purposed your life in such a special way that you should desire to exhaust that calling. You should desire to find that calling that God has laid upon your life and go forward with it in order to make disciples of all nations. You should work at the factory, not because you've got good insurance and a good 401k. You should work at the factory because you believe God has placed you there to uniquely influence the lives of your coworkers. You should teach in public schools, not because you want a pension one day or not because that's something that you've just always wanted to do, but you should do it because God has placed you in there to make a difference in the lives of other teachers and students for the Great Commission. It all surrounds that calling. And in the same way that God has laid a Christ-centered calling on John's life, God laid that calling on our lives. Did you hear what God said about John the Baptist here in the book of Mark? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Now understand Isaiah would have been written some 600 years before John the Baptist was born. This is what was said in Isaiah about John the Baptist. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. In other words, he's saying, I'm sending this messenger, who we know to be John, to prepare the way for you, Jesus, so that when you come, Jesus, and you begin your earthly ministry, John will have already prepared the way for you so that you can walk in and begin your ministry. Verse 3, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Here, John had that Christ-centered calling. Everything centered in his calling was about Jesus. Everything. He was born to make the way straight for Jesus. He was born to go ahead of Jesus and be that forerunner and say, there's coming one after me who's greater than I am, whom I'm not even worthy to unloose the straps of his sandals. Get ready, he's coming. Repent of your sins, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now that was the message of John the Baptist. And as he was called to impact Judea, he was making the path straight for Jesus. You know, in a lot of ways today, God has called us to prepare the way for Jesus because did you know he's coming again? And did you know that those who aren't ready to meet their creator can suffer eternal judgment? And God is called, that's what the Great Commission's all about. It's about making disciples of all nations. It's about making disciples here in Candler so that when our Lord does return, these folks are spiritually ready for him. They already know him. They've already been prepared for the coming of the Messiah. John was doing the same thing. Did you know Jonah was also doing the same thing? Jonah was in Nineveh preparing the people of Nineveh for the judgment of God, saying, listen, there's a judgment that's coming and if you don't repent of your sins, you're going to suffer that judgment. The gospel, the message has always been Christ-centered, by the way. If you go all the way back to Noah, Noah had the same message. Noah was telling them the judgment of God is coming upon this earth in the form of a flood. Repent. The door to the ark was open and they were invited to come in and yet they chose not to. Hey, listen, the same message has been preached. The same message was preached in the Garden of Eden 
in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When we find out that Adam and Eve sinned and that there would be one who would come that would crush the head of the serpent, that the repentance of sins has always been preached. And if we love Candler and if we love our community enough, we're not going to pat them on their back as they live in hopelessness. We're not just going to pat them on their back as they live in sin, but we're going to love them enough to share with them the truth of the word of God to prepare the way of the Lord so that they can be ready, so they can be serving him now, so they can be fulfilled, so that they can live for the purpose in which they were created. The angel of the Lord said this about John the Baptist even before he was born to John's dad in Luke chapter 1 verse 17. The angel of the Lord said, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people even before he was born. Did you know that even before you were conceived in your mother's womb, God knew you. God knew who you were going to be. God knew where you were going to live. God knew what you were going to do. And he preordained exactly what your life was going to be. He set you aside for a great purpose. And today, if we want joy as a church, as if we want fulfillment, if we want the power of God to rest upon our church, we must be a church that takes that Christ-centered calling very serious. A church that loves our community so much that we're not willing to just maintain what we've always had. We're not okay just kind of doing church and just kind of going through the motions. But we want to see people changed. We want to see lives transformed. We want to see Candler become a healthier and a safer community because more and more people know the Lord Jesus. And I'm telling you, that will fix a community, by the way. That will ultimately transform an entire community if one church... If just one church can get on fire about this calling, I'm telling you, God can do amazing things. And that's what Impact Candler is all about. So we see there that we have a Christ-centered calling just like John the Baptist and just like Jonah, but we also have a Christ-centered message. And we see that in verses four through eight. So there in Mark chapter one, beginning in verse four, the Bible says this, John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Now, that's very important because one of the central themes to his message was the repentance of sins. Now, listen, someone can only be saved if they realize they're a sinner. Someone who believes that they are righteous and good enough on their own cannot be saved because the essence of the gospel is understanding that Jesus took your place on the cross because you could not save yourself. Jesus took your place on the cross and his blood was shed so that your sins could be washed away and so that you could have his righteousness placed upon you. We've said this before, but when you go to heaven one day and God looks at you and he, he's determining whether or not you're holy enough to get into his heaven, you know what the only thing that's going to matter? Has the blood of Jesus been applied to you? Because here's what's going to happen. If the blood of Christ has not been applied to you, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, then when God looks at you, he's going to see your sin. He's going to see your failures. He's going to see your wickedness. And I'm telling you today, sin can't get into heaven. Wickedness cannot get into heaven. But if you've trusted in Christ and you've been saved, you know what happens when you stand before God? He sees the holiness and the righteousness of his Son. And you get into heaven, not because you've been good, not because you've given to charity, but because the blood of Jesus has been applied to your soul. 
Because there was a time and a place in your life where you said, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that Jesus died for me and rose again. And today I trust Jesus' payment for my sins to save me. I trust him and I'm turning from my wicked ways and I'm giving my life to you. That's how someone gets saved. You say, Ben, once I get saved, will I be perfect? Absolutely not. We still contend with sinful desire and sinful passions. But there's a difference once you're saved. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside, so you don't have to be a slave to your sin anymore. You have the power to say no. You have the power to live righteously. And that's the beauty of being a believer. And that's what it means. And here, that's exactly what John was preaching, the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, he did not give a perfect gospel presentation like we do today. That's what's known as progressive revelation. In other words, humanity has been revealed progressively more and more details of the truth of redemption throughout history. Today, we know more about the gospel than Abraham knew. Today, we know more about the gospel than John the Baptist knew because we are looking back at the cross. We have the testimony of faith from eyewitness accounts in the scriptures in front of us. We have detailed accounts of the crucifixion and of the resurrection. Abraham didn't necessarily know that the Messiah's name was Jesus. Abraham did not necessarily know that Jesus would die on a hill called Calvary, but Abraham knew the prophecies, the Genesis 3.15 prophecy. Abraham knew that God would bless the world through his seed. Abraham knew that righteousness came through God, and the Bible teaches us that it was accounted to him as righteousness because of his faith. Those people before Christ, you may ask, did they go to heaven? They went to heaven if they believed the truth that was available to them from God. If they believed that there would be a coming salvation, if they believed in the one true God, they were saved just as much as we were. The people of Nineveh, hey, when Jonah went in, he didn't preach Jesus died and rose again because he didn't know about that. But he did preach that there is a holy God who is gonna judge you if you don't turn from your wicked ways. And the Bible says the people believed that and God relented of his anger. So it's a Christ-centered message. And that's exactly what John was preaching. If you go down to verse five, it says, the whole Judean countryside and all the people in Jerusalem were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Again, repentance. People were being told that their lifestyles and their sin was gonna destroy them. And because of that Christ-centered message that John the Baptist was preaching, they were compelled to say, I don't want my sin anymore. I don't wanna live like this anymore. I wanna be changed. I wanna turn from my sin and I wanna turn to God. And that was that message. It says in verse six, John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Now, why do we need to know that? Well, because the first verse right before that says that Hundreds, maybe thousands of people were coming out to hear John. You say, well, Ben, he didn't have money. He wasn't dressed right. He probably didn't have good speaking skills. Why were the people coming to John the Baptist? I mean, nowadays, people would look at him and say, he's a freak. I mean, he lives out in the woods and he eats bugs. And he probably had honey all matted in his beard. And he was wearing camel hair and probably stunk and smelled. Why in the world? Because he was preaching a Christ-centered message said, Ben, God can't use me. I mean, you're talking about impacting Candler. Listen, I, I'm a nobody. There's no way God can use me to change people's lives. Let me tell you something. If God called a man named John the Baptist who lived in the woods and ate bugs and wore camel hair 
and used him to impact the entire province of Judea, God can use you today in Candler, North Carolina. If God can use an old selfish prophet named Jonah who ran from the will of God and was swallowed by a fish and spit up on the seashore because of his direct disobedience to God, let me tell you what, God can use you today to impact Candler, North Carolina. Because here's the key, it's not about us. It's not about what we can offer. It's not about our intelligence. It's about the God who has called us and who has given us this Christ-centered message. You know what he's asking us to do? Just go and love on people and tell them about me. Just go and be in this community, invite them into the church so that they can be discipled and just show them who I am. And a lot of times we can show people who we are by how we live. Now you can't preach the gospel to someone or proclaim the gospel to someone just simply by your actions, but you can give them a good idea of who the God is that you serve by how you treat them and how you live in front of them and how you care for them in their difficult places. And when you've won the right to speak into their life, you know what? That's when you can share the gospel with them. When you've shown them that you care more about them than about yourself, that's when you've earned the right to speak into their lives. And that's when they're going to listen. That's when they're going to hear. I'm telling you, people listened to John the Baptist that day. I recently read a sermon outline of a pastor in a Baptist church. And before I share this with you, I want you to know that I, am, I understand that there are many sins that we, that we deal with in our society. And that sometimes certain sins can rise to the top, and it seems like we talk a lot about those particular sins. Um, one being the transgender LBGTQ plus movement. We talk a lot about that. And it's a prevalent issue in our community, in our society. It's something we certainly should speak of because the Bible speaks about it. And we should know about a biblical worldview. But there's also sins of adultery and theft and people who are dishonest and people who are addicted to drugs, people who are addicted to pornography. There's a lot of things and a lot of sins that plague the human race. And I'm not sharing this story with you because I'm trying to get at a particular sin, although we do know that it is a sin. The LGBTQ plus movement is sinful. But I want to share this with you because I want to show you what a Christ-centered message is not. So the title of this sermon preached by this Baptist church pastor was called, What Does the Scriptures Say About LGBTQ? And in his sermon, the pastor references Galatians 3.28, and here's what Galatians 3.28 says. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. He then went on to expound on that verse, and he said, the resurrection has dissolved old categories of human difference. In other words, there's no longer male and female. And in the rest of the sermon, he tries to focus on an idea that marriage between one man and one woman is not the only right way and that churches should honor marriage no matter who it is between. So I want you to see that this is not a Christ-centered message. And the reason that this is not a Christ-centered message is because it is not founded on and fundamentally standing upon the unchanging word of God. If you go back to that verse in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, See, the reason that I like expository preaching and what that is, is that I like to have a book of the Bible that I preach through, that I preach verse by verse through that book. And the reason I like that is because it gives you the full context of what the Holy Spirit was communicating through the writer of the book. And sometimes what happens is, is if you go in there and you pull out a verse that you just particularly like, and you know, I, as, as a a Christian, I have my favorite verses, and I say, I'm going to preach on my favorite verse, and I'm just going to pull that one verse out, I'm going to lay it here, and I'm going to produce a sermon about that verse. What's going to happen is, if I don't honor what it said before that verse and what it said after that verse, 
there's a good chance that I am not going to communicate correctly the meaning of that verse. Because in the in English language and really in any language, thoughts begin by letters, then go to words, then go to sentences, then go to paragraphs. And if you don't take in the full context, you don't fully understand what's being said. Well, right before Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul is talking about inheritance. And what he's saying is, is that when you come to know Christ as your Savior, you are entitled to the same inheritance as Christ. You are adopted into the family of God and eternal life is your inheritance. And then he goes on down and he says this, he says, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And he's saying that in reference to receiving an inheritance because here's the thing, in that culture, whether you were a Jew or a Greek, whether you were a slave or a free man, whether you were a male or a female would have either benefited you or restricted you when it came to receiving an inheritance. In other words, a male would have received more inheritance from his parents than a female. A, a Jew would have been uh, the rightful heir of a Jewish family long before a Gentile or a Greek. And a slave would definitely not get as much of an inheritance as a free man. Paul's not saying that these categories don't exist. Paul is saying that these categories don't affect your standing with God. In other words, no matter if you're male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, the ground is level at the foot of the cross and we all can be saved. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what we have here is we have a man taking a verse and twisting it and perverting it in such a way that he is proclaiming his own agenda with the word of God. Now that's dangerous. And here's the sad thing about this. Whoever this man is, he's not the only one. But it's not only happening in churches, it's happening in society. People are being taught these different things. And you know what? God has given us a Christ-centered message that we need to be about telling people. Because people are living in darkness. People don't know the truth like we think they do. Ben, we live in the Bible Belt. There's so many churches in Candler. Everybody knows the gospel in Candler, Ben. That's false. There couldn't be something further from the truth. You say, my coworker, I, we've never talked about Christ, but I know for sure he knows, he knows the gospel. I'm sure he does. You might be surprised. He may think he's going to get to heaven one day because he's good. He may think he's going to get to heaven one day just because he's done more good than bad. Hey, he needs to be told that Christ-centered message. And God's called us here at Pole Creek to do that in Candler, to share that Christ-centered message. And listen, when we invite them to church, we incorporate them into the life of our church. They get to know us. They get to understand the truth of the gospel. That's when they're then going to be able to turn around and go out and impact the world too. And that is the key. Listen, I want little boys and little girls in our community to grow up knowing about Jesus. I want little boys and little girls in our community to grow up knowing they're valued and they're loved. Listen, there's no, other, there's no other worldview, religious worldview, that teaches the value of a human life more than Christianity. You know that Christianity teaches that we've all been created in the image of God? Christianity teaches that when you take the life of another human being, you are assaulting and afflicting the God who made them. Listen, God gives you your value. Where you come from does not give you your value. Your parents do not give you your value. The fact that you are made in the image of God is why you are eternally valuable. And it's why we as believers, we fight for life. 
That's why we fight for the, the care and the love of orphans. That's why we fight for our widows. That's why we fight for the unborn. That's why we fight for the elderly. That's why we fight for the, those who are abused and those who are victims of domestic violence. It's not because it's a good political talking point. It's because we believe that every human life is eternally valuable. And when that life is protected and cared for and valued as the God who made them intended, then they can be enjoyed and God can be glorified. And that's what we stand for in the Bible. And that's why we believe that every human being is eternally valuable. So that's a Christ-centered view and a Christ-centered view must be based upon the word of God. It must be based upon the unchanging word of God. We live in a society where people use language that's changeable. That, that, that there's, no way, there's no more definitions for terms, but people change definitions as they see fit. Even gender has become fluid and changes from day to day. Listen, that's chaos. God has created us to live in a world of order and he has laid out the way that we can live with the most joy and the most peace. And when we live within God's direction and God's creative design, we will enjoy life, we will have peace, and people will be valued the most. And that's why God has done that. So as we think about this Christ-centered message, and we see that Judea was transformed by that message, John rounds up his message simply by glorifying God. And he says in verse eight, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Right there, we see salvation. We see that we have a God who loves us so much that he indwells us and he is with us. Hey, did you know that even if the rest of the world turns their back on you, God is still with you if you know Christ. You're not alone. He is a God who draws close. He is a God who loves. He is not a God of judgment and of hatred and of meanness, but he is a God of love. And he loves us so much that he wants to have a relationship with us. Well, today, that's what Impact Candler is all about. We want the world, we want Candler, we want our community to know this God and to have a relationship with the God of the Bible so that they can be valued, they can be loved, and they can have joy and peace. And so that their eternal home will be a place called heaven. We love our community and we should therefore love them enough to impact them and reach them. Let's pray.